0: Good morning, everyone. My name is David, and I'm also one of the pastors here. And if you have a Bible, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have one, don't worry about it. We got one on the rack in front of you. You can grab it. And it's easy. Just turn to page 979. Over the last six weeks, we've been looking at gospel friendships in a lonely age, looking at the way that we relate to one another in the church and in the wider culture. And today, we're going to look at... Gospel friendships in marriage, and we trust that whether you are married, divorced, widowed, or single, that the Lord will have something for you in his word today. So Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll begin reading in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we need you, Holy Spirit, to give us this vision of marriage that is too glorious for us to comprehend So, Holy Spirit, open our eyes and our hearts to see the way that you love us in this passage. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Preaching on marriage today, so you can bet that my wife and I got in an argument this week. Actually, last night, over something such as important as dry cleaning. Yes, dry cleaning. You see, we divide up roles in my household I do things like grocery shopping, and she does the dry cleaning or drops it off and picks it up, and uh, it had been three weeks since we had our dry cleaning dropped off and picked up, and so there I was last night trying to get ready to preach with no shirt to wear today. That would be awkward. Just a suit and a tie, no shirt. So, of course, with my spiritual gift of sarcasm, I dropped a barb and then huffed and puffed out the door off to buy a new shirt at Banana Republic. Looks pretty good. Good. Marriage is glorious and marriage is hard. I love the way that one counselor describes what you do on that wedding day is this. He says, on that wedding day, you are about to abandon yourselves to each other, throw caution to the wind, forsake independence, isolation, and all others. You will vow to each other your undying love. And before you do, we must call this what it is. This is perfect madness. (laughs) madness. <laughs> it says, everyone wants love. Everyone is looking for love. Few seem to find what they are looking for. Fewer still seem able to sustain it. Why in heaven's name would you come to church to publicly dedicate yourselves to something so risky, so fraught with danger, so scandalous? Because deep in the wellspring of our hearts, there is a desire for intimacy beauty, and adventure. Friends, we're going to look at this beautiful picture of marriage in Ephesians chapter 5. And I submit this to you, that we will not understand marriage until we understand the gospel. And we will not fully understand the gospel unless we understand marriage. So let's look at this text together. Look down at verse 32. It says, This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. It refers back to the previous verse being marriage. So marriage refers to Christ and this church, and Paul says, This mystery is profound. Some of you are saying, Amen. It's not that kind of mystery. You see, mystery in the Bible does not mean something that's too complex, too deep, too obscure, too esoteric for us to understand, but it simply means mystery is a wondrous truth that God is revealing through His Spirit. So He's revealing something about marriage. This is what He reveals according to Jeffrey Bromiley. He says, As God made man in his own image, so he made earthly marriage in the image of his own eternal marriage with his people. And it's been this way before the creation of the world. You know, that's why earlier in verse 31... Paul quotes from Genesis when he says, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Marriage was God's idea that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, before the foundation, before the creation of the world, said, we need an institution that will display to the world the way that Jesus loves his bride, his people, the church. Let's do marriage. It wasn't like Adam and Eve came up with marriage, and then Paul being carried along by the Holy Spirit, as he's writing Ephesians, the Holy Spirit looked at him and said, hey, let's compare the way that Jesus loves the church to marriage. You see, before creation, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were laying out their plan, they came up with this idea of marriage to display this profound mystery, this glorious and beautiful relationship between the bride of Christ, the church, and the true bridegroom, Jesus. That is the simple and revolutionary purpose of marriage. The profound mystery is this. Our marriages are to be a picture of Jesus and the church. You see, it's that reason why Jesus teaches that there will be no marriage in heaven. There will be no earthly marriage in heaven. Why? Because earthly marriage is a shadow. It's a signpost that gives way to the reality. And the reality of marriage is that we are wed to Christ for all of eternity. You see, human marriage is simply a shadow of the reality that we will experience with our true bridegroom, Christ, for all of eternity. If we understand that this is the purpose of marriage, then it will mean that we will not be overly elated, overly elated, or disappointed by marriage or singleness because marriage to a spouse is not ultimate, but marriage to Jesus is ultimate. You see, both singles and married bear testimony that God, not family, is their hope. Both singles and married must rest in and rejoice in their marriage to Christ. Quick side note, ultimate purpose of marriage is to display the way that Christ loves the church. Some of you may be thinking, but there are other reasons as well. There are. There are lesser purposes in marriage like sex, romance, and childbearing. They are part of the purpose of marriage, but they are lesser than this profound mystery that marriage is a picture of the relationship between Jesus and his church. So three quick thoughts, three quick marks about what our marriages should display In how Jesus loves us. The first of these is this. Passionate commitment. Look at verse 31. It says, hold fast. Become one flesh. These are the same words that we quoted from Genesis 2.24. These are the same words that Jesus used in Mark chapter 10. And the words that are used here is covenant language. Hold fast means to be bound legally or glued to somebody. Now, think about the way in the Old Testament that Jesus' relationship with his bride, Israel, is described there. We see passion. Listen to Song of Solomon, chapter 8. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. Now that's passionate poetic language when the Lord's talking about his relationship with Israel. But it's not simply just passion, there's a commitment. In Hosea chapter 2, when God is talking about his relationship with Israel, he says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her Israel, And bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. And you shall know the Lord. All throughout the Old Testament, Jesus describes his relationship with Israel with passionate commitment. Go read Ezekiel chapter 16 this afternoon, and you'll see that even more. But marriage is not just used to describe the relationship between Israel and the Old Testament. It's also used to describe the church's relationship to Jesus. There's passion. In John chapter 3, Jesus continually refers to himself as the true bridegroom coming for his bride, Think about the passion of Jesus. He left his family. He left his father. He severed his most important relationship to hold us fast as his bride. And think about the covenant vows or the commitment that Jesus makes to us. Matthew 28 and Hebrews 13, when Jesus promises to be with us to the end of the age and to never leave us or forsake us. And the church's one foundation, the song that we just sang, it describes this mystical, sweet communion. What he's getting at is our union with Jesus Christ. That we are in this divinely created, passionate commitment with Jesus that we will never be abandoned, that we will never be widowed, that we will never be forsaken. As God's people, He is passionately committed to us. And that's the language that's used to describe the marriage vows that we make towards one another. In Malachi 2.14 it says, Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. If you've been to a wedding ceremony recently, particularly probably a Presbyterian one, you notice there's usually uh, the bride will come down the aisle with uh, her father and then the groom and the bride will stand there and there's a series of questions. You see, before they ever come up here, before they ever turn and face, before they ever make their vows to one another, they are making their vows to the Lord when they say, will you have this woman to be your wife? You are making a vow to the Lord before your family and friends and they hear that vow before you ever get up here and make a vow to one another. Now, think about that vow that you heard at a wedding. Maybe it went something like this. I take you to be my wedded wife and I do covenant before God in these witnesses to be your loving and faithful husband in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live. There was a trend where people wanted to write their own wedding vows, and R.C. Sproul says it was horrible. People were horrible at writing wedding vows because all they would do is stand up there and talk about how the other person made them feel. And you see, you missed the point of a vow. A vow is a future promise that regardless of my feelings... Regardless of circumstances, in sickness or in health, I promise, I pledge, I covenant to love you. You promise to be loving and faithful and true regardless of feeling and circumstances. Friends, that's the way that God loves us. And that's why our vows are patterned after his vows to us. Two thoughts related to this for you to consider. Whether you describe yourself as a Christian or not a Christian, don't we all yearn for that kind of love? Passionate, perfect love. A promise that we will never, ever be forsaken. That you will never, ever leave us. And when we are young, we all long for that and we believe in it. But for many of us, as we get older, we roll our eyes and we get cynical. And that's a tragedy because it should be the other way around. We all yearn for what is at the heart of marriage, permanent and passionate love. And friends, if you are a believer and you are married today, we are in a covenant. We stay married because of this covenant, not simply because of our feelings, You see, feelings can't be the essence of marriage. Your dog has feelings for you. That doesn't mean you're married to your dog. Procreation is a purpose of marriage. But that is not the primary purpose or essence of marriage. Rats, mice, and rabbits do a better job of procreation. The purpose of our marriages is to tell the truth about the way that Jesus loves his bride, his covenant committed love for us. A quick side note, that does not mean that we can never separate or divorce. Sometimes amputation is necessary to preserve life, and the Bible allows it under a couple of circumstances, but that's a different sermon. If you have questions about that, feel free to follow up. With us. So the first mark that our marriages ought to display is passionate commitment. The second mark is this, redemptive sacrifice. Look at verse 25. It says that Jesus gave himself up for her. What does that mean? It means that being in relationship with Jesus, in order for Jesus to marry us, It cost him nothing less than his life. That's why we refer to his life as a sacrifice. In Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for what? The joy. Who's the joy? Us. Was set before him, endured what? A little bit of hardship? No. He endured the cross. You see, the mystery is this. That it's not like we pulled the wool over Jesus' eyes and he thought that we were somehow way more beautiful and better than we are. He's looked into the depths of our rebellious hearts. He knows who we are. And while we were still sinners, Christ laid down his life for us and he wed himself to sinners. That is the standard. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. But that purpose of sacrifice was redemptive. Look at Ephesians 5, 26 through 27. Why did he do this? So that he might sanctify her, that he might cleanse her, that he might wash her, so that she is without spot or wrinkle to be holy and without blemish. Do you know what this means? Jesus never looked at us and married us because of what we have. Jesus married us because of what he could give us to us. Jesus did not love us because we are radiant. He died to make us radiant. He didn't love me because I was beautiful. He laid down his life in order to make me beautiful. That is redemptive and sacrificial love. And the love of Jesus is the quintessential picture of sacrificial and redemptive love. God has every right to to be angry and offended, but instead he puts away his wrath. He covers our sin and shame with his own life, and he says, I want to love you and make you beautiful. Jesus is the ultimate friend who sticks closer than a brother, who loves us, who loves us in such a way to make us beautiful. Two thoughts on this. Number one, when we comprehend the height, the breadth, and the depth of this sacrificial love of Christ, only then will we be able to love others and show the world His beautiful love. What is the standard for married people and single people? It is the life of Christ. What is it? Lay down your life. That's the standard. When we understand that Christ laid down his life for us, then we will be able to lay down our life for others. Second thought, when we are sanctified, when we are changed, when we are transformed by the redemptive love of Christ, we will be able to love others in such a way that the world will see his powerful love. Because love is powerful Gospel friendship is looking at someone else and saying, I see your imperfections. I see your flaws. And I know what God created you to be. And I am excited to see what God is doing. And I want to come alongside of that and be a part of it. That's spiritual friendship. And that is what should be present, especially in our marriages. The second mark of gospel friendships and marriage is redemptive sacrifice. And finally, the third mark is life-giving grace. See, look at verse 26. It says, cleanses by the washing of water with the Word. Why do you need to be cleansed? Because you're dirty. You see, these words presuppose that we are unclean and we are in need of washing grace that will give us life. The only way that we relate to our true bridegroom is completely by grace. It's why Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. We are justified. We are saved. We are married to Jesus by grace alone through faith alone. And the result of this is what? It's life. It's eternal life. It's why in 1 John 2 it says, and this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. The love of Jesus cleanses us and makes us what we ought to be. And friends, think about this. Because we relate to Jesus purely by grace, there is no shame in our relationship with Him. We can boldly approach the throne of grace because we are accepted, because we are loved, not by our blood, but by the blood that He shed for us. He washed us. And so we see that we relate to Jesus By grace, and that brings life. And so in our marriage, our marriages, we are going to need grace. I love the way that one counselor put it, that getting married is like taking Cinderella and Huck Finn, tossing them in a submarine, and closing the hatch. He says, what did you think would happen? Marriage is going to be challenging when you marry two sinners. Perfection doesn't happen from that. You will struggle, and marriage is hard, and it's glorious. And let me just say, if you're in a difficult place right now, whether you're single or married, don't suffer alone. Don't struggle alone. We have great counselors, great pastors here, great people here who are willing to walk alongside of you. And so if you find yourself in a place of struggle today, reach out and don't suffer alone. There is hope and help. On this last, gift, uh, this last point of life-giving grace, two thoughts. This life-giving grace enables us to be transparent and vulnerable. Grace empowers vulnerability because we are perfectly loved. Second, we can transform our marriages only through constant grace and forgiveness. Grace enables forgiveness because you know you are a forgiven person. So think about this today wherever you find yourself. This is the profound mystery, that marriage to a spouse is not ultimate. It's a signpost. It's a shadow. It's a reality that points towards our relationship with Christ. And through human marriage, the world should see passionate commitment, redemptive sacrifice, and life-giving grace back to dry cleaning as I'm huffing and puffing searching the racks at Banana Republic (laughs) thinking about how my wife should be more grateful for me and make life easier for me she reaches out to me and she offers forgiveness with tenderness and strength and beauty and vulnerability, and in that moment, over something as silly as dry cleaning, I learned something about the gospel, because my wife was passionately committed to me. She was sacrificial in responding to me, and she extended grace to me, and in that moment, I experienced the beauty and the glory of marriage over something as simple as dry cleaning. I love the way that Dietrich Bonhoeffer describes what marriage ought to be. When he was in prison, he wrote a wedding sermon from a prison cell. He said, Marriage is more than your love for each other. In your love, you see only the heaven of your own happiness. But in marriage, you are placed at a post of responsibility towards the world and mankind. Your love is your own private possession, but marriage is more than something personal. It is a status, an office. It is the profound mystery, the way that Christ loves us, His people, the church. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it is a profound mystery that You have promised to love us that you have pledged yourself to us and that it cost you nothing less than the blood of your son. So, Father, as we come to this covenant meal, may it be a sign and a seal of your promise and your pledge to us. May the truths that we've just heard from your word come alive to us as we eat this bread and we drink this cup. Father, meet us here at this table so that we would know and experience your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you remember that promise in Ephesians 5.27 that we just read, that Jesus laid down his life to make us holy and blameless, to be without spot, without blemish? Okay, keep that in mind. And when you look at all of Scripture, think about how it begins in Genesis. It begins with a wedding in the garden, And then we hear more about marriage in Hosea and Song of Solomon. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And what was his first miracle? It was turning the water into wine at the wedding. And now think about the final book in the Bible, Revelation. And think about how God describes when Jesus returns what it will be like. Listen to these words from Revelation 21. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. That's us coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as what? As a bride adorned for her husband. You see, when Jesus comes back, we are without spot. We are without blemish. Why? Because of this meal. Think about the words. This cup is the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of sins. You see, in a wedding ceremony, we make covenant vows, we make promises. And then we exchange signs and seals of that promise. Typically, it's a wedding band or a wedding ring. It's a sign and seal of the promise of God. This table, this cup, and this bread is a sign and seal of the covenant of God, the new covenant, that if you are in union with Jesus Christ, If you are betrothed to him, he will wash you, he will make you spotless, and he will present you before the true bridegroom in perfection. If that describes you today, then please come to this table. Eat the bread and drink the cup. If that doesn't describe you today, if you wouldn't consider yourself in union with Jesus Christ, being married to him, then let the bread and the cup pass you by but don't miss his proposal to be your God and for you to be his people, that he will never leave you, that he will never forsake you, that he will never desert you, and that if you place your faith and trust in him, you are in union with Jesus Christ for all of eternity. Friends, let's pray as we do before every meal. Lord Jesus, as we come to this table, May we experience this profound mystery that you are committed to us. So, Father, use this bread and use this cup to assure us of your covenant love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That the Lord Jesus Christ, on the same night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat this is my body, which is given for you. And in the same manner, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant, and my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink from it, all of you.